0: Hey everyone! Welcome to Epicurean Unicorn, the podcast where we delve into the science and art of bread, patisserie, and so much more. We're interviewing and conversing with experts on these items so that we can better understand and help you learn more about the wonderful culinary world we live in. Our hosts, Amanda, Braden, and me, Connie, will be guiding you on the delicious adventure that we have in store. So sit back, buckle up, and get ready to rumble. Oh, hello. Welcome to Epicurean Unicorn. <laughs> My name is Connie, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm Brayden, one of your other hosts. <clears throat> yes, okay, that is not Braden. obviously. He has left me alone by myself. Which also means he's given me full power to run the show and perform the intro and outro however I choose. But you will be hearing his sultry tones, a little bit later when he speaks with Deegan Williams, um, who is a bad A dollar sign dollar sign business lady and who happens to be the founder of Culinary Business Strategy. She is a food and beverage business consultant, and the conversation with her today was extremely insightful. Not so much for pastry techniques or things that we've talked about in the past, but strategies on how to succeed when you want to promote, run, found, form ideas, and all of this in the food industry. So uh, yeah, get excited to listen. That'll be all of the Brayden Dose that you need today, along with, of course, Deegan, who is absolutely fantastic, of course, in order to get there. We need to go down to the Club. Club Unicorn! So, oh, oh, we're going. Doo, 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 doo. Oops, I mean, those aren't the words, but you know, don't need to sing along to the music every time in life. It's fine. Oh, and I see some savory things from some of Deacon's clients here. And they happen to be power foods because we're talking with someone who has drive and energy to spread to others. Looks like we have some ooh, blueberry protein bars. Mm, some sweet potato-based muffins, and then some salmon-filled crepes. All foods that'll get you going and ready to achieve your dreams when it comes to founding businesses in the food industry. Now, Mmm, so yummy. Um, and how do you get here to eat these and achieve this drive with us? Well, you write us a five-star review. And you can write us pretty much anything. Honestly, it doesn't even have to pertain to food. Uh, that's cool. We like weird facts. Just keep it G for the kids. And when you write this review, all you need to do is send a screenshot of that to EpicureanUnicorn at Parados.com. Then, boom, VIP status in the club with your faves. Uh, Where your faves, if you didn't know that. So, uh, before we get into the interview, really quickly, I did want to give a little shout out to Trek Talks and how they're doing some amazing works to support the Hollywood Food Coalition. And you can check them out by plugging in a little Google search or by visiting their website at trekgeeks.com. Be warned, though, Braden will probably spontaneously appear at your side if you do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, mixed thoughts on that. But it's a really, really fantastic uh, movement, actions, and all of that that Trek Talks is doing to support in this respect. <laughs> John Billingsley, Phil Phlox. Join dozens of Star Trek celebrities for eight hours of interviews, panels, performances, and general Trek wallow. All in support of the Hollywood Food Coalition, hofoco.org. Check us out, helping people in need for almost 40 years. Trek Talks 2 kicks off 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, January 14, 2023. Stay hep at trektalks.net. Live long and mark your calendars. All right, now that we've covered all of this, let's listen and see what Deacon and Brayden have to say.
1: Deacon, hello and thank you for taking time for us today. We really appreciate it. How have you been?
2: I've been great. Thank you so much. I am delighted to be here.
1: I'm delighted to have you because this is a, a really interesting topic that you're here to discuss. You make entrepreneurs in the culinary world successful. A lot of people, though, they start businesses, and there's a lot that they don't know. When people don't know a thing, they don't always know that they don't know that thing. And that's what you and I talked about wanting to discuss today. How do you make people successful when they don't know what they don't know? It is
2: such a great question.
1: Before we get into it, let's hit very briefly on your background. What got you into the world of the culinary business and what you've done in that world before starting your own business now?
2: I was actually one of those really odd and rare birds that I'm not really quite sure where it came from, but I knew that I wanted to be a chef from the time that I was Mm. in preschool. Okay. Okay. I strutted around saying I'm going to be a chef. And at the time, like there weren't a whole bunch of examples of being a chef. Right. And so I it was it was barely becoming a thing rather than cooks or something uh, and becoming chefs. But I knew that that's what I wanted to be. And it never wavered. Um, You know, instead of being a superhero or something else, I wanted to be a chef. And. So I pursued that with a singular focus for a very long time.
1: Okay, okay. You must like really tall hats. That must be it, maybe. <laughs> maybe
2: it was the tall hats because I'm only five foot four, and I uh, wanted to get taller. And the
1: clogs.
2: The clogs oh, weren't a thing then. I'm not one. sure. You know, the thing is, is that, and so I started cooking when I was in high school. Like, I got a job in in pantry and doing salads at the time of like California cuisine was big, and we were doing these big fancy salads, and uh, that was brand new. At the time, it was cutting edge. And then I went to cooking school in Paris. Uh, I got an apprenticeship for translating and washing dishes and doing mise en place and stuff. And so I got to be behind the scenes and then do cooking classes at night. And from there, I did the classic. I was at the very tail end of uh, French apprenticeships, okay, you know, before okay. people, were, Americans were paying for them. Mm-hmm. I got in like under the... I was under the wing of my chef who had, you know, other people that he would hand me off to. So I did the classic training and then I landed back in the United States. So I went from like 17 to 24 and I landed back in the United States at a time when it was cool to have women at the helm of fine dining restaurants for the first time ever. But I didn't know that at the time. And I didn't know that there was something called the sociological imagination where our lives intersect with the larger social impacts that are happening at a time, and you don't know it. And I just didn't have the window to know that, A, I was like first generation of women to come up through the rank and file. And I also didn't know what I was walking into. It was kind of like you walk into cobwebs and you don't even know Mm -hmm. until you feel Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I wish I could come up with a better analogy, but it's one of those things where you like run into some cultural notion. Mm -hmm. So um, I became a chef, an executive chef at a really young age with, now I look back, I was totally unqualified. I knew how to cook and slice and dice. I knew how to prepare to be on a culinary Olympics team. I knew how to work in three-star restaurants all over France. And I had no idea how to be an executive chef. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And it was because I had... Fancy French pedigree that it was like, oh, well, therefore she's capable, she's able to be a chef. And I didn't have a clue about food cost or labor cost or leadership or menu development or engineering or any of that. I figured it out on my own in many ways. And I organically ended up becoming um, a consultant without even knowing that I was training to be a, a consultant and open this business 20 years later. Because friends of mine started saying, do you know how to do food cost? What do you know about this labor costing thing? What's it matter? Because <laughs> all my friends were chefs and mm, we,
1: mm-hmm.
2: we didn't say it. We had this idea that like, if you cook it, they will eat it, you know, build it and they will come oh, yeah. on, on some level that can play through, but that's often a retroactive way of assigning meaning to something. You know, it kind of reminds me of Steve Jobs walking out on stage and pulling an iPod Nano out of his coin pocket. And everybody goes, wow, his, I, his coin pocket had an iPod Nano. And it was like, no, there are millions of dollars of R&D and work behind that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It's interesting just to hear right off the bat that there was so much after all of that training. And you must tell people over that training, they go, wow, you must have been so well prepared. But there's so much that you just said, I, I, I just didn't know. And then you're saying, my friends were chefs, and and they just didn't know. And that's what you're saying kind of inspired you into the path that you took now. Were there any moments where it just hit you, where you ran not into cobwebs, but maybe a really clean glass door that you didn't see there, and you just, bam, and you went, wow, I never knew that I didn't know this. How? Did I get this far without knowing this?
2: Right. <laughs> Not a cobweb, but a glass door. A really yeah. clean glass door. Absolutely, <laughs> Those hurt, right? Like, they hurt. Yeah, they hurt. Did I ever run into a glass door? I mean, I have one that immediately comes to mind, but I was taking a pause to see—is <clears throat> there something else that came up? I mean, yes. You know, and it kind of comes down to the beauty. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but the beauty of an entrepreneur is that they believe they can do anything. Mm -hmm. And the curse of an entrepreneur is that they believe they can do anything. I qualify. Okay. You know, I mean, I'm along those lines and I didn't realize it. Um, You know, some, for some reason, either good or bad, I am like a chef through and through. We have work, it needs to get done. And I start going towards getting the work done without necessarily thinking, "Hmm, is this the best way?" So, I went from sous chef to executive chef. Like I said, at the age of 24, um and I was responsible for a 36% food cost, which was the fancy food cost at the time. I think if you said that now cuz things change over time and space people would choke and be like, "That's pretty luxurious." But mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was a 33%, like it was sitting at 36 and we needed to get down to the 33. And I had committed that I would get it there within six months. And I said it with gusto in my hiring thing of absolutely. I will get your food cost down to 33%, which is, still sounds luxurious. I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I said, oh yes, I will. You watch me. So I went through my first month as an executive chef and I came out. And the GM called me in and said, your food cost landed at 33 on the dot. It was like 33.001 or something like that. And I went, yay, right on. That's so wonderful. <laughs> and what I didn't realize was that I had just walked into and walked through a glass door. Because 22 seconds after I left the GM's office, I thought, oh,
1: How did I do that? Uh, uh,
2: uh, uh. I had no idea how I did that and not knowing how I did that meant that I didn't know how to replicate it. Mm. So I didn't know what I didn't know is, but I got uh, suddenly occurred to me like, not just how have I lived this long without it, but how on God's green earth am I going to replicate it? Because I have no idea how I got there. I reverse engineered it and figured out how I got there, but it took me a moment. And No wonder so many people battle with their food cost, right? Because we don't know how to get there.
1: What do you do in a situation like that where you realize, I didn't know about this. I need to educate myself so I can replicate it, so I can not make the same mistake again. There's a variety of reasons, right? You're going to need to educate yourself. What do you do? What have you done in those kinds of situations? Um... Well, most frequently
2: what I have done and what I witness, what I've done a lot that I intentionally no longer do because I witness it a lot and I realize it's not the best way is I come up with an explanation Hmm. and I come up with a reason of why something happened. And so like an example is a restaurant that's been in business for five years and is not doing well and they're on the verge just before the pandemic, they were on the verge of losing everything and going bankrupt right and there was this thing of like how do we uh they were, and they were like you know what? we need marketing we just need marketing because people don't know about us our re- restaurant isn't doing well because people don't know about us and that to me is like where we're assigning meaning mm-hmm. without actually having empirical or measurable evidence is finding a reason by myself within my own tin can mm-hmm. that's what i try not to do anymore and so what i did And what I figured out that I actually still stand behind, I still think it's true, but it's important to look at, is when I had that food cost win, but I didn't know, which was actually a loss because I didn't know how I got there. The reason why I had really good food costs is because I was working so hard trying to find a clue that I was in my walk-in several times a day. I was on my invoices every single time they came in the back door. I was all over anything that could impact my food cost because I was looking for a clue to how to make it better. I didn't know what was wrong. And so I was deeply invested in rotating all the dairy so that the dates were out, making sure that it was, you know, first in first out. I was, I was managing my product, right? I was managing my ordering. I was doing all the things that a person needs to do in order to manage their food cost without knowing that that's what I was doing, because I was looking for a clue. And I would that's the thing that i would love to continue to do is to get curious like when i run into a problem that i don't know like and i think oh how did i get here how did i live so long without knowing this getting curious is the most interesting and fruitful way to solve for it but i often see that we and i have done this is that we come up with an explanation of like oh i can't do my food costing i can't set up a food cost program because my business is different we have really high-end food. So therefore it's never going to work out. That's simply not true. Yeah. Right, we take anecdotal evidence and turn it into empirical evidence. So in that case I answered my own question by saying how I got there was I just really I was curious and I was in every single part of the process, which was great because I was able to rep- somewhat replicate it the next month. But I never had, in that position, I didn't have systems and tools. It didn't occur to me to have systems and tools. What I did was work harder. Mm. And that is a classic sign of chefs and restaurateurs is we work harder. (laughs) As it means like we can do everything as long as we work hard enough. And we end up getting burnt out, Yeah. right? And so there's actually systems and tools that make our lives a lot easier. We don't just have, have to do grueling hard work we can actually turn it into strong work rather than grueling work
1: i like that before we get too much further down the road and away from the specific example of the food cost some people listening may not be a chef they may not have had to figure that out could you just give them the dictionary definition and i'm going to read it too to check up on you so it has to be good. Can you give us the dictionary definition I was of just food cost? Say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's your definition? That's really what we're looking for.
2: <laughs> okay, great. And then please do read it because I'm sure there's a better, uh, there's a distinct <laughs> definition. But um, I mean, what I I came up through the rank and file. I do have an MBA. I do understand what it means, but I, I'm not. I didn't go to um, an American cooking school mm-hmm. where we have these fat answers, which is a great thing. And online is a great thing. But anyway, what is food cost? Food cost is actually a colloquial term that we use to mean cost of goods sold percentage. It often comes into a percentage form. And nominal numbers and percentages are can be confusing, and we need both. Because percentages tell us about our relationship to the rest of the money in our organization. And without percentages, your $22,000 on food cost, how much money you spent on food or your food cost as will define it in a sec, doesn't mean anything. I don't know if that's good or bad if we don't have the percentage. So we always need both. And the food cost means, you know, what we're saying in the industry is food cost of goods sold in a percentage format.
1: I was going to say, I think that was the perfect definition. I'm looking at the uh, fifth edition Deegan Williams dictionary right here in front of me, and you got every (laughs) single word right. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I just wanted to make sure for anyone. Uh, who may not be familiar with, we gave them a little primer, right, on what that topic can was. Can I add
2: one little part to that? Please, yes. So if we don't know, if anybody's listening and doesn't know about food costs, I mean, it's something I'd be happy to talk about for a long time. It's I, I love this stuff now, and I hated it for a long time. And so I really work on bringing the quantitative parts of a food business to creative people that feel like they can't do math. Yes, you can. But... um Food cost or your cost of goods sold is only relative in relation to yourself. So A, do not, please don't believe industry standards of it has to be this percentage. And two, you can think about food cost is if you are going to make and sell peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you have to buy the bread, the peanut butter and the jelly. And when you sell that sandwich, the first thing that comes out, you sell it for $5. The first thing that comes out of the $5 is you owe money back to the till that you spent to buy the bread the peanut butter and the jelly so it's about the ingredients in relation to your sales price
1: i think that's a great yes that's great that's a great way to describe it now let's back up because you were going in a direction that i think is really the crux of this conversation and that's to be curious i'm curious do you ever use or go through with any of the entrepreneurs you work with, the five whys uh, of root cause analysis and, and problem solving to find why they're having a struggle instead of just saying, it's marketing in your example earlier, right? Nobody knows about us. Is that a, a tool that you use regularly? I don't.
2: Tell me more about it.
1: Oh, it's it's as simple as asking the question why five times. I mean, it's a very, very old idea back to yeah. uh, ancient Greek times, really. And just to keep asking why, and you know, why does nobody know about my restaurant? Oh, nobody knows about our restaurant because, let's say, for example, we have not advertised anywhere. Oh, why have we not advertised anywhere? Oh, we haven't advertised anywhere because none of us know where to advertise. Why don't any of us know where to? And you just keep going and going and going until you find the, uh, the theoretical root cause of the problem.
2: You're right. It's old and I knew that, but I haven't thought about it in that in I haven't thought about in that framework in a long time and it, it immediately as you start giving the example, I'm like, "Oh, this is brilliant."
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I have not, but I will. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get a little further down. Right? You really wanted to share how it is that you figure out and learn from not knowing something once you figure out you don't know it. <laughs> Aside from being curious, aside from wanting to learn why or what it is you don't know, what else will you help people with or how else do you help people when they run into these problems, when they run up against a wall, a blank in their knowledge? What are some of the tools that you can hand people?
2: What are the tools that you can hand people, you know, for a long time, not knowing in this business, knowing that I had the tools to help people, but I didn't have the tools to know how to be a consultant, right? It's a totally different business. I just thought I was going to be a chef for hire that would be like, yeah, here's the tools that you need to make it happen. And it's actually, it's a separate business. So for a long time, I used to, when people would run up to a wall of their lack of knowledge and they weren't getting the results that they wanted, I would say, here's a screwdriver, here's a wrench here's you know this is how we get there and i've realized that that is not necessarily the most effective way to go one of the most effective ways to go is to a let people know that there's an alternative that's the biggest thing is like you don't have to have this result you can have something different a lot of times we have very strong cultural norms in the food in the food and beverage industry in the hospitality industry It's a tough industry. Razor-thin margins. You have to work hard. There's no staff. Supply chain issues suck. And those are all like known facts. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, then why are there some people that are making money, right? Why do some businesses have enough employees? Why is it that some people are working? Like it just it's not. It's not like gravity. (laughs) It's not a scientific empirical Uh fact. So our job is there's a. There's an alternative. We can find another way around it. So one of the tools that I use is always to define the North Star. I can't do that for clients. I can't define their North Star. I can help them get there. I create strategic roadmaps and I build systems to help them get there. But ultimately, I'm not going to be in their business day in and day out going forward. So it's a question of how can I help them build systems that they want. So the main thing with that is to define where they want to go because we can always measure it against this North Star as opposed to this week, I'm frustrated that nobody's working hard or this week I'm frustrated. I don't. Whatever the frustration of the week is, we can always measure it against our North Star.
1: And can you define that North Star? What it, how is it that you define it to folks you work with?
2: Most, I mean, it's a mission and vision statement, okay. really. Why are you doing what you're doing? What what impact do you hope to have in the world? Like, what is that big, hairy, audacious goal? What's that thing that makes you sit up a little bit straighter, gives you butterflies, makes you a little bit scared, you know? And then, I really believe because I work this way, I am motivated by big, fancy goals but I sustain that motivation by achieving small successes along the way, right? And so we don't run a marathon in a day. Rome wasn't built in a day, but you gotta start making a level playing field in order to be able to lay that first brick, right? And so I'll start with the mission and vision, that kind of North Star, and then we implement the systems in order to get there, break it down into, in order to run a marathon, you know that training like how do people run a marathon and a lot of times i was taught this trick in the last couple of years that i thought was yes but go find somebody else that's doing it like children learned how to walk by seeing other people walk right so we can put in then we put in systems and strategies and i work predominantly in four areas which are operational efficiency culinary excellence branded marketing and financial analysis And most food and beverage businesses stop at operational efficiency and culinary excellence. And then that whole branded branding thing and financials are like chaos or something that we outsource or something that we're afraid of. We can't be chefs and food business owners at the same time.
1: Yeah, what's interesting to me here is your background is really in and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, savory kitchens, restaurants, right? These not large industrial bakeries or something such as maybe more my experiences. W- what's interesting is what I'm hearing, it's it's the same. You have to focus on operational excellence. You have to focus on putting out the best products possible. You have to know your finances and you have to have a coherent story across all platforms and so that your message, your marketing message is the same in every place that you're putting it out there.
2: Yeah. I have spent much more time in freestanding fine dining. Um, I did do equal amounts of training in savory as opposed to sweet, but certainly, Mm -hmm. and I've consulted with large bakeries, but not, I've helped them with operations.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. But like, you're absolutely right i'm a restaurant chef i and i work with consumer packaged goods artisan food products as well but yeah absolutely and it's interesting how it is the same right and most restaurateurs don't know they think that we're a separate thing and i want to say business it's okay
1: right it's you have a service or a good right you need to fill a need in the market that's what we're all doing whether it's a fine dining restaurant or like you said a cpg consumer packaged good You're filling a need in the market and you need to know what that need is and know how you're going to get there successfully.
2: You know, one of the things that I um, kind of rattled off the top of my head several years ago to a colleague who asked me, like, why is the restaurant industry so, you know, fraught with work and, you know, the hospitality industry, why is it so fraught? And I was like, look, it's not really rocket science. It's really about doing selling the right product to the right person at the right time, the right place and the right price. If you align all of that, you're good to go. And she looked at me and she was like, that's genius. And I was (laughs) like, no, that's obvious. And I since then have heard it other places, some form of that. But basically it's about fulfilling a target, a, a market need, talking to your target audience, selling a product that the price and the quality makes sense, like McDonald's does a really good job of it. Look at what they do, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, exactly. People know what they're going to get. They know the quality. They know the price will be what they need it to be. And the messaging is very clear. There's no confusion. You're right when you see you know, a McDonald's marketing campaign. You know what you're getting. And you know they're going to meet the expectation. It's
2: mm-hmm. It's crazy
1: yes yes indeed now I'd kind of like to to shift a little bit staying on this idea of there's a lot we don't know and hopefully you run into some cobwebs and not a really clean glass wall (laughs) to figure out what it is that you don't know when you have a client or maybe you uh, have a personal experience where you've come across uh, an area where you just you suddenly realize wow i i didn't know this what are some of the tools and systems you've spoken of is there do you have a go-to tool or system you use to help you get over that knowledge gap or do you really just look at the specific need and then find the the right tool or system
2: do I have a tool, like a go-to tool yeah. that helps with the knowledge gap? Yeah.
1: I mean, I'll give you an example. So like if I'm having a problem in the kitchen, I just get out my blowtorch and I can probably solve that problem. No worries. <laughs> yeah. When when you're looking at right, that knowledge gap, have you found in your experience that there's a financial tool, a marketing tool, a type of analysis, right? Uh, maybe a fishbone diagram, just something that, will help people get to where they need to be? Or is it much more complex? We're oversimplifying, really.
2: Yeah, I don't know that it's much more complex, but I don't know, I don't have, I have one approach. Okay. But I don't have one specific tool because it's trying to, I'm working with entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and I'm trying to impart on them. Um, you know how to go and so often i'll take the mission and vision in some form i don't necessarily say it like this because i don't mm-hmm. want to alienate people but like i'll move it back down to kpis like okay key performance indicators mm-hmm. right and back down to that like what am i doing how do i know whether i'm succeeding or not i think one thing that i've had clients say to me over and over again is like they repeat back to me and i'm like well i guess it works and people are telling <laughs> me what i said but one of the things that they uh, say back to me is what gets measured is what gets done. Mm. And I believe in that, absolutely. Like we talk about how important it is to run a marathon, lose weight, ride a metric century, have a profitable business. If we're not measuring it and we say it's, "You know, people aren't willing to pay for a good product, well, we actually don't know that. Let's measure it. Mm-hmm. So I set up measurement systems. Absolutely, that would be a go-to for me. And then I often think Um, One of the biggest obstacles I have with clients and um, people is measuring what works. And so there's an acronym CTFAR. I didn't make it up. I was just taught it, which is that circumstances dictate our thoughts, our thoughts dictate our feelings, our feelings dictate our actions, and our actions dictate our results. Right? And so I often think about like what are you thinking or what are you looking at? Where's your effort going and what are you looking for? Building system, I really am a huge fan of building systems. And so it it depends on what system is missing if people aren't getting the results that they right.
1: want. Right. No, it, it makes perfect sense. You know, it was kind of a loaded question. What's your silver bullet right system to solve problems? There's never going to I be one. I wish I more... had. Oh.
2: I think that I need to
1: I know, right? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> You know, in my experience, it's the same thing you know we solve you know baking problems for customers' troubleshoot, and there never is one way we can just go in and say, "Oh well, that's why the bread didn't turn out." We have to ask twenty questions first and find oh, out why okay, right? yeah <laughs> you know you really need to do your research and understand that you're putting the right measures in place. So no, I, I You
2: know, I would say that actually it's really important to ask those questions. If there were one silver bullet that I could say is you know, asking the right questions is by far the most important thing that one can do.
1: I think that's a wonderful sentence to start wrapping up on. Asking yeah. the right questions is really one of the best actions that we can take in any aspect of our personal it really is true. or professional life. Definitely. This has been really illuminating. Mostly, my favorite part is I love that we really have shown, you have really shown that the food industry, while we look at it as this wide, expansive industry and fine dining is nothing like large commercial baking, you just really brought it back to the same four principles that everyone in the food business has to follow, which I love. Before we do our little wrap-up, Is there any other thoughts or pieces of wisdom you would want to share with entrepreneurs who are hitting a wall and realizing there's just something that they don't know?
2: Entrepreneurs are realizing that there's something that they don't know or they're not getting the results they want is to step back and look at the big picture rather than looking at the problem because it's so quick, so easy to come up with why something isn't working is look at where you want to be, where you are in relation to where you want to be and measure from that and then to get curious and then get help I didn't realize this for and I don't just say that because I'm a food business consultant like get (laughs) anybody I mean obviously I'm open to helping people but Mm -hmm. like get help because we just all by ourselves we don't it's so easy to cast our own shadow and come up with an explanation without actually stepping back and looking at it and getting help is so important I didn't really realize this I had it while I was in school while I was an apprenticeship while I did stuff like that but it took me years to get a coach that has is the person that teaches me how to that is outside of my industry and asks me questions so getting support don't I mean we just don't know everything on our own we want to be careful about that that's what I would recommend
1: great recommendations I always tell people there is nothing wrong in asking for help No, No, nothing. Ask.
2: And I think it's really important that you and I say it as much as possible in this industry, because we have such a cultural norm that like there's rugged individualism Mm. and you have to do it all on Mm -hmm. your own. It's like you weren't born knowing how to run a business like you had to learn how to walk. So
1: (laughs) certainly again, that was the second great way to to really wrap this up. So I I really cannot thank you enough, although I can. By now putting you on the hot seat with some of our unexpected, totally off-topic questions, if you're game. Okay. You look game. People can't see it, but I just got a couple snaps and some, some kind of finger points. <laughs> All right, you're game. Air guns. Air guns. There <laughs> we go. All right. You, I happen to know, uh, are in the Bay Area, so San Francisco Bay Area. I asked this of anyone I know from there. How much do you dislike the Los Angeles Dodgers?
2: <laughs> oh yeah that's doing right uh do you want an honest answer oh yes please i know that i dislike the los angeles dodgers this much which you can't see but it's like tiny
1: bit yeah that is that's real small i'm surprised
2: i know that i'm supposed to hate them but i don't actually care enough to hate them okay I just like them
1: oh fair enough Fair enough. I
2: enjoy going to a baseball game. Like I am not a huge fan, so I don't follow it all that much. I enjoy going to a baseball game and then I enjoy sitting down and saying, okay, so who do we want to win?
1: Uh, the Giants would be the answer. The Giants.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> that much I kind of know. Yeah. But I I know I'm supposed to hate them with a vengeance. Yes. Oh yes. But I don't care.
1: I don't worry, we won't tell anybody. You, this
2: isn't a live podcast, or this isn't a podcast.
1: Yeah. Okay. It's just a private next conversation. I tricked you. We're not actually recording. <laughs> <laughs> you had a culinary apprenticeship in France. Pure curiosity here. What was the best meal that you remember having while you were over there?
2: Mm. I mean, we could take another couple of hours oh, to go on about that one, but I can say definitely. the one that came comes to mind is on my 19th birthday, I ate at Guy Savoy, which at the time was a one-star restaurant, and we had like an 11-course meal that just kept going on and on, but it was so lovely and so well done. And I remember getting a savory melon soup, a cold savory mm. melon soup, thinking, how does this even make sense? Yeah, I just had in a different. I just had an amazing, amazing meal in Oban, Scots in Scotland. Okay. At a restaurant called Etive, E T I V E, that was mind blowing to me. Incredible seafood, but that was oh, wow. just a couple months ago.
1: Okay, so you were just in Scotland a few months ago. I was. Okay, well then you know what? Let's have the the follow up question, our last question, be about Scotland. What's the best scotch for your money? Which which one are you going to go for?
2: Oh, boy. <laughs> I learned a ton about scotch for the first time in my life and really understood. A, hey, I I learned it's not called scotch. It's called whiskey. whiskey. Yep. I didn't know that before. Mm-hmm. And there's no E. That's very important. You know, we went to Islay, and there are some incredible... There and I would say best for the money would be Bunenhaben, okay. Uh, which we went on a tour of, so I have a bias because like I know people there now, uh-huh. we had a wonderful tour, so that was lovely.
1: Oh, that does sound lovely. Well, you know, Ron Swanson's a little sad, but that's okay, he'll get over it. And uh, yeah, yeah for all those Parks and Rex fans, sorry, everybody, uh, everybody that character loves Lagavulin. I don't know if you oh. had that one while you were over there, very smoky scotch. Or yeah, whiskey. Very a, yeah, I just met a a gentleman from Scotland, and it is funny because here to make sure people understand, oh, it came from Scotland. We call it Scotch, but to him it was just yeah. whiskey. And yeah. and you're right, the way he pronounces it, I don't even think i I can pronounce it that way. It's. Can you try? Uh, well, he was also from the islands of Scotland, so he had yeah. a very interesting as- accent. But like we say whiskey, that e, and you're right, that E isn't so much there when they say it. Yeah, whiskey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah kind of like that. Exactly. Yeah, it's hard. It is. It's very hard. What was not difficult, though, was picking up all of the wonderful information that you were putting down. You know, Deegan Williams, thank you so much. Where can folks learn more thank about you. you and what you're up to?
2: Where can folks learn more about me? There are so many different ways. I mean, this is 2022, so Mm -hmm. my name is spelled D-E-A-G-O-N. And you can find me anywhere at Culinary Business Strategy, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and my website is culinarybusinessstrategy.com. Like many, (laughs) like everyone else, my website is like a year behind. It needs to be updated. I've been so incredibly busy coming out of the pandemic but um, I am really trying to double down on my Instagram presence, so I would love an, a, a direct message on Instagram. And I have a couple of free gifts to, or not free, a couple of gifts to give away um, for anybody that's interested, which is the six-step process to successful food business management, and um, a weekly scorecard of how to measure the success of, success of one's business. Please feel free, anybody, get in touch with me, and I'd be happy to share that.
1: Well, thank you very much. That's that's wonderful. This has been very insightful. And I hope now that everyone realizes, hey, there's a lot we all don't know and there's nothing wrong with asking for help.
2: Thank you so much. It's been a delight to be with you
0: today.
1: Oh, thank you. You have a good day and take care.
0: Okay, bye-bye. All right, it's me again, guys. And I have to say, this was a really interesting interview to listen to. Um, it was neat that it didn't necessarily touch on food topics from a technical aspect like how to bake a ciabatta or how to create the perfect mousse. It was very, very different and focused on all of the real challenges that come with making your food creations a dream or a reality, sorry, for the public. You could turn your dreams into reality. And I really like how Deegan has the mindset to encourage creatives that they can do math and calculations and some of the harder technical business-oriented tasks that are involved in running a good business or making a food product. It was also really neat to see how you don't need to have a solution in the respect that the solution needs to be exactly what you thought it originally was. Alternative solutions are just as great if they get the job done. Now, finally... I thought it was interesting how Deacon kind of touched on the fact that successful people don't reinvent the wheel. They look at success examples from others. And she gave the example of McDonald's in this case. Also, those who succeed don't go for the glory all in one step. They break down their goal into digestible chunks. This is kind of a reminder of uh, my dad saying, Con, set a five-year plan. Um, And it just basically what he was trying to say with that is Divide your time into little attainable goals over a longer period of time so that you can look back, know you did things well, and ultimately achieve what you were looking to do. Now, I did say finally, but I have to actually give Brayden some credit with his comment on the asking the five whys question. I think I had heard that before, but didn't really know it was a common question or strategy to ask when you're trying to get to the bottom of a problem. Just ask why five times. Keep going deeper. This will be something that I might even start applying to my own life. But, uh, don't tell Brayden I said that. Yeah, I can't ever let him know. All right. Well, thanks for listening today, guys. I hope you have an absolutely fantastic day. And we will be seeing you next time. Now I, oh, I get to sing. I think I get to sing because Brayden's not here, so... Goodbye, my people, goodbye, for now. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you have questions, comments, baking troubles, or are just epicurious about the topics discussed today, you can send an email to epicureanunicorn at parados.com. If your question is short and sweet, we may even feature it on the show. Epicurean Unicorn is a production of the Parados Corporation. Help us to keep spreading the magic of food through continued conversation and the pursuit of knowledge
1: this has been a studio 47 production